Hello and welcome to the Friday, December 11th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Vilsack, vaccine, lawsuit, and a gubernatorial campaign. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, Vilsack Redux. Redux? I don't know. That's kind of a French word. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But anyway, he's back. He will be back. <laughs> Joe Biden, who may be president-elect or perhaps president-elect after Monday, or just another casualty of President Donald Trump's greatness, has chosen Tom Vilsack to be his Secretary of Agriculture. The selection is widely praised by Iowa Farm Commodity Groups and the renewable fuels industry. Todd, uh, you've observed Bill Sack in his roles as state senator, governor, ag secretary. Uh, are you surprised he'd go back to the USDA? Well, maybe a little, uh, but he's a he's a policy wonk. He's a he's a guy that enjoys the public service and coming up with ideas and making policy and. You know, I, so I guess in that vein, uh, it isn't surprising. He, you know, when the president-elect, for now, of the United States calls you and says, would you serve in my cabinet, you, you, know, you, you tend to usually say yes to that. And, and he and Biden go back a ways. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of back to the future with Tom Vilsack. But, uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, maybe... Maybe after this, he'll run for governor again or something. I don't know. And eventually, and eventually serve in the state senate, representing Mount Pleasant. So yeah, and go yeah, back, go back to all the old jobs. <laughs> why since, not? Yeah, why not? Since he was USDA secretary, um, there have been some changes in, in terms of the growing emphasis on climate change and sustainable agriculture, and sort of how. Um, Traditional farming fits into the climate change strategies. Uh, there's concerns about wildfires, which also falls under the purview of the USDA, uh, renewable fuels, and then needs in rural America for internet connectivity and housing. Um, and, and Todd, as you mentioned, Vilsack is, if anything, a policy wonks, policy wonk. Um, it's going to be different going back. And, and do you expect that he'll be different or that he's going to pursue different policies? in his um, second go-round? Well, I, I think he'll have to. And I mean, there's, there is some uneasiness, uh, you know, among progressive Democrats with this choice. Uh, Vilsack is, is coming to the job, having pulled down almost a million dollars salary working for you know, Dairy Management Inc. and the, and the, what is it, the U.S. Dairy Export mm -hmm. Council. Uh, so, you know, that, that in their book is, is, is big ag. And he's had a fairly good relationship with, you know, large agricultural interests in Iowa over the years. And uh, so there's, there's, there are misgivings that maybe he's not suited to this, uh, to this, to a more progressive vision of what the USDA ought to be doing on climate change and food assistance and, uh, and, you know, looking at ways to alter the food system that we're in. I mean, we saw during the pandemic how if you knock down one pork plant, you basically crush the food supply chain for farmers and consumers. So, you know, we've got right. this consolidated system and 
And I think there's a lot of appetite out there for, for making big changes. So, uh, so, you know, Vilsack is a big ideas guy, but I don't think he was known last time in the USDA as being a big change agent. And he also received lots of criticism for not addressing sort of the, the racist past and perhaps present of the USDA. And uh, that's, that's an issue that I've also heard brought up by folks who are critical of the, of the appointment. One of the criticisms, not specifically uh, about Vilsack, but he would be included, is that um, presumed president-elect uh, Biden, uh, <laughs> for all his talk about diversity and promises on the campaign trail, to be a bridge to the future generation of Democrats, is choosing a lot of elderly people for his cabinet. Vilsack is 69. He'll be 70 when he begins the new job. And it, it appears that Biden is choosing experience, age over youth. And I guess the, the next generation will have to wait its turn. So uh, may, maybe folks like uh, Pete Buttigieg and, and others uh, will get selected just to bring the average age down to uh, <laughs> something more representative uh, of uh, the next generation of Democrats. Yeah. Yeah, the Vilsack pick doesn't exactly scream that they're that Biden's got a you know an aggressive agenda for the USDA, although he does have a, a, a climate agenda that, you know, a lot of voters who supported him like and he's gonna have to pursue that. I don't but I, I suppose he sees, you know, Vilsack as a no waves, trustworthy public servant who won't cause problems but could come up with some good ideas. I I don't know. But yeah, uh, there there has been a lot of talk about the, the 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 age of some of the picks. Right. Well, there's been some talk about the age of Biden, uh, starting sure <laughs> yeah. presidency uh, older <laughs> older than Ronald Reagan leaving office. But um, yeah. Well, I, in a way, it's easy for him to surround himself with young people, even at age seventy. <laughs> you know, Bill Sex Bill Sex just a kid, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're all young to him. <laughs> Well, speaking of the election and who the next president will be, um, Texas is leading a lawsuit that would uh, overturn election results in Pennsylvania and other states where President Donald Trump believes he was the winner. Um, and uh, Attorney General Tom Miller uh, was thinking about joining a lawsuit that was in response to that that would have uh, basically told Texas and its uh, uh, co-plaintiffs um, to go home and mind their own business. Uh, however, Governor Kim Reynolds uh, sort of jerked his leash and told him not to join that lawsuit. And then last night, we learned that um, she was willing to join the Texas lawsuit um, to, I guess, defend the president and uh, the election results in uh, at least four states. Um, Aaron, can you, uh, unspool this for us? <laughs> I, I can sure try, but, uh, I'm still kind of unspooling it for myself. So bear with me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you summed it up pretty well. It, it, the one thing I'll note off the top, it was interesting that, um, the statement from Governor Reynolds came from her campaign, not from her, um, official office. I, I don't know if there's anything to read into that or not, but that that did kind of stand out to me. 
um, moments after Tom Miller had issued a statement saying he would have preferred to uh, uh, join the defendants um, in that case. Uh, her campaign issued a statement saying that she had wanted to, her preference would have been to join Texas in, in trying to overturn um, the results in, in those four states. Um, it, it's uh, trying to be <laughs> as uh, 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 judicious as possible here. Um, look, the, the, the Trump legal challenges have been wildly unsuccessful. That's, that's not opinion. That's fact. That's buried out in the um, results of all these challenges. They've earned one minor victory that didn't change any vote totals whatsoever. And meanwhile, I've had more than 50 challenges um, either thrown out or, or, or lost them. Um, and some of the language of when you read the judges' um, rulings in these results has been, you know, remarkably harsh that you don't usually see from judges. So, I mean, this has been to this point a quixotic legal campaign, um, and there's really no evidence to believe that this specific case will be any different. So it, it, it was interesting is is a polite word to use here um, to see the governor choose to um, announce last night that um, she wanted Iowa to be a part of this uh, legal challenge. Um, I'm not sure what is to be gained by that. And I, I suspect that uh, next time the governor has a press conference, uh, she may be asked about that. You know, Aaron, you, you mentioned that the announcement came from uh, the governor's campaign organization. I'm wondering if uh, her campaign might join the lawsuit, but not the state. Um, well, I suppose that would be yeah, an option. I, mean, I don't know legally if that's an, an option. I don't know how it works. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, and I didn't even stay in the Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, but that would, I mean... If she can't get the state to do it because Tom Miller doesn't want to, uh, from from that standpoint, maybe that's a good point. I mean, it seems like they could file an amicus brief or something like that, uh, of, similar to what what was it, 106 members, Republican members of the U.S. House right. did, right. including including uh, I was Steve King. Um, I if this challenge is successful, perhaps he'll seek to overturn the results of his primary election that he lost back in June. <laughs> <laughs> okay. can 2020 get any more weird don't answer don't answer yeah do, yeah well looking ahead uh, a former campaign operative for representative cindy axney and massachusetts senator elizabeth warren's iowa caucus campaign reported that the internet addressed sandforgovernor.com has been registered with the domain name system, leading to speculation or more speculation that Iowa State Auditor Rob Sand is planning to run for governor in 2020. Aaron, it comes as no surprise that he might be laying the groundwork for gubernatorial campaign. Iowa Democrats have been eyeing him for higher office ever since he uh, ran for auditor. Uh, is this the first step for Sand or is he covering all his bases or maybe just toying with uh, Governor Reynolds and her team. <laughs> yeah. Is it, I, I think Rob 
sand is capable of a little bit of trolling. So, so maybe there's that, but uh, I think it's more likely that it's um, at the very least somewhere in the middle there that uh, he's, he's covering all his bases. Um, it's possible he has made up his mind and is, is preparing a run. Uh, that's certainly possible. And, you know, we've all been watching him wondering if he has his eye on either of these two races coming up, either the, the gubernatorial race or the, or the U S Senate race. Um, I think the more conventional, conventional wisdom has been that he'd have more of an eye to the uh, gubernatorial race. And he has been uh, on his personal Twitter. He's, it's not been uncommon for him to um, challenge or criticize governor Reynolds um, from time to time. So uh, this wouldn't be in the least bit surprising. It's and, and it's certainly noteworthy that uh, that step has been taken and, and we'll all keep, um, watching and uh, things will probably start picking up um, after the holidays here. But uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be at all a surprise if uh, this was one of those steps in, in the process of, of Rob Sand preparing for the governor. Of course, uh, Sand is a relatively common name. So maybe some other Sand in some other state is planning to run for governor. I also wondered whether someone planning a campaign would register one domain, one domain name, but not all the combinations, sand for Iowa, sand for Iowa governor, sand digit for right. governor, and so on and so on, rather than just uh, one one domain. So um, I guess maybe that's something to keep an eye on if he, if he adds more domain names. Um, in the meantime, uh, Amy, uh, with uh, Trump and Texas challenging Biden's win and Rita Hart asking Congress to overturn the election results in the second district. Is it too soon to be talking about a 2022 governor's race? Hell no. We're, we're <laughs> hoping to get to that next one, I think. <laughs> my, my, suspicion, my suspicion is that it's an old Sanford governor's site from uh, Mark Sanford. <laughs> but anyway... I, I would not also be surprised if uh, Rob Sand was toying with a run for governor. I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Walls was toying with, with a run for governor, to be honest with you. He's been a rising star in the party on mm -hmm. the last few years. And he just rocketed like Obama with that first speech that he gave to the Iowa legislature um, back when they were discussing whether to, uh, you know, do anything about the gay marriage that had passed in the courts and made this really stirring speech that made the rounds and sort of like propelled him. Ever since then, I really thought he had, you know, his eyes set on the governor's office. So that wouldn't surprise me. Um, he might. I know he and Sand are pals. I've seen, you know, their their photos together helping out at the derecho and things. So it also wouldn't surprise me if he backs um, a possible Sand campaign. Um, but heck no, we should be talking about 2022. Let's talk about anything but 2020 right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anything to take our mind off 2020. Uh <laughs> Todd, there's been a lot of speculation about which Democrats might run for governor. And uh, Mark Nolte, uh, the director of Project Better Together in Iowa City, has indicated he will make an announcement soon. Uh, he's been hinting that he, he'll run for governor uh, for some time now. Uh, the project uh, goal is to, quote, build a transformed future for our community with greater economic diversity, growth, inclusivity, resilience, and well-being for all. I expect that's going to sound like uh, People's Republic of Johnson County talk to a lot of folks in rural Iowa, but at least he's not from Des Moines, right? That's true. Although I don't know that Johnson County in the eyes of 
voters across the state is uh, any better than being from Des Moines. You know, I, right. they root for the Hawkeyes maybe, but the rest of the stuff in that county, I don't know. I don't know. What's going That's on the there. only bone we're throwing them. Yeah, exactly. We go to we we go to Kinnick and we get out of there. Uh, but, Slowly. You know, it's he might he might bring, you know. He'll, have, he'll of all the candidates, he'll have the best dance numbers because he's co-owner of a dance academy. There you go. So we could see production numbers at his at his rallies. I mean, it might be bring back some of the bring back some of the pizzazz of old Hollywood to uh, to, to the campaign in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they could do ads that he's dancing around the issues. Maybe maybe it's a double-edged sword. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there it's. It's not early because, I mean, really, if you're going to run for governor, you've got to have things put together by, you know, this upcoming summer, maybe late mm-hmm. summer. If you're going to put something together, there's probably going to be a primary with some Democrats. But, yeah, you mentioned Sand. You mentioned uh, Zach Walls. Those are names that I've heard. Uh, I'm actually surprised at how few names I've heard at this point. Usually by now, uh, you're starting to see people make moves. but. Uh, maybe the the defeats of November for Iowa Democrats have sort of left them a little discombobulated at this point. <laughs> if if Sand is running, planning to run for governor in 2022, I guess that's good news for the Grassley family, uh, Chuck or Pat, whichever one decides to run for the Senate in 2022. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're probably happy to see this development. And because it is uh, 2020, we're going to talk about the coronavirus. Amy, uh, the big news this week, other than Sam for governor, uh, has been the announcement that the COVID vaccinations may begin in Iowa as soon as next week. Um, the vaccine's here! I- I'm ready. I've got my freezer turned down to minus 94 so I can store a batch or two for people who prove to me that they're, they deserve to be vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> You'll, you'll have to take an extra day to thaw your turkey before Christmas. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let the feeding begin. So, Amy, should we be rolling up our sleeves? Yes, we should. Although, obviously, with a caveat, you're not probably going to get one unless you're a healthcare worker or working in a long-term care facility for a while. There's only that limited number. And, of course, you need the two shots. Now, they're saying they're going to roll it out to, you know, however many we're getting everybody is that many people are going to get it. And then they're counting on, you know, the manufacturers coming through with more doses. I am cautiously optimistic that that's, that's going to be the case, but you guys remember we're still in 2020 and (laughs) everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. (laughs) And, and I can totally see a world in which manufacturers just um, something goes wrong or, you know, just don't have enough. So I, I want to say to people, it's it's great that we're ready and we should stay ready. But if there's also delays, just keep wearing that mask because, yeah, it's it's going to be a long 2020 into 2021. Probably. Yeah, because it's 2020, I just I keep thinking about, you know, a train load of vaccine uh, plunging off the bridge somewhere uh, <laughs> on its way across the country or a plane cra- a plane load of vaccination. Uh, you know, vaccinations crashing and oh, or something of that um, sort, you know. In a, a, literal, would, a literal train wreck, that would be yes, right uh, on the nose. <laughs> that, that would be deserving. <laughs> in 2020, the vaccine train would hit a bus 
filled with orphans on the way to a Christmas <laughs> celebration. Um, and I, I personally, I know that if the governor's office has anything to do with making this list, which I think they do, I, mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to get the very last <laughs> available. I'm going to be. Sorry, Todd. We only have half a badge here. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mr. Gorman. I don't see your name on we've, the list here. We've only got this. We've only got this Russian vaccine that we brought in. <laughs> It's, it's, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, herd, herd, herd immunity, all that. Just, uh, yeah. 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 Oh, God. Well, Amy, also this week, um, COVID related, the state once again changed how it's reporting uh, COVID 19 data. And, yeah. and what I'm hearing is that this was the right decision, but complicates things for people who are tracking. Uh, the data, uh, infections, and deaths, right. and because it's it's makes it even harder to do an apples to apples comparison. Um, We're just relying happened? on the state. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's all we can do, right? Like we don't have access to these labs independently. Um, we don't have access really to even the county health directors are, are getting their information from the state. So everybody's just sort of like, okay, this changed. I don't know what that means. I, I mean, I, I tried reaching out to um, Bremer County, which rocketed up from 14 deaths to like 24, 25. And they don't even they don't even have an, an answer to, as to why. They're, all they can do is point to the state change the methodology. <laughs> so somewhere in me. there, it just happened. Right. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it definitely probably was a good change. Um, and there's going to be a lot of questions Um about why and and you know there should be especially you know after this is all over the postmortem what happened what are the lessons learned that's really a time when when we're going to need to because the next pandemic will be coming that'll yeah. be the time when we really are going to have to sit down and be like let's have a standard let's make it transparent and and let's make sure that everybody has all the information that they need at every step of the way because that's the problem that health departments have been running into and hospitals have been running into with lack of testing it's a mess and it just continues to be a mess. We're slowly trying to learn and get better, which is, I guess, the silver lining. Todd, so, uh, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry, sorry, I was just gonna add, because Amy made a good point there about um, in the aftermath of this and when people have a chance, researchers have a chance to look back and, and analyze all this and everything that happened. Um, uh, director Garcia, uh, the interim director of the public health department actually talked about that specifically as one of the reasons they made this change is, is this method of counting is more consistent with the way that um, public health departments track deaths related to other diseases. So this will, when all is said and done, as Director Garcia put it, five, 10 years down the road, this will enable them to make a better apples to apples comparison of uh, the way COVID impacted the population, you know, when compared to other uh, pandemics and other diseases. The, the question that was raised was if this was always the best case, um, why haven't we been doing that for longer? Because the federal government and other states have been doing it this way um, uh, for longer. But uh, I, I guess you know, Todd, late than never. As Amy said, the, the conversation now, uh, I mean, while they've determined that healthcare workers 
and uh, people in long-term care facilities will be the first uh, people to get the vaccinations. Um, beyond that, do you expect that we're going to get into big arguments about who should be next? I mean, who is an essential worker? Who is a frontline worker? Obviously, newspaper reporters and editors are, are essential. Um, but uh, <laughs> for some reason, I don't think we're going to be at the head of the line. Um, <laughs> you know, should this... Are we going to get bogged down into those sorts of debates about, okay, how many lives are we going to save or how many years of life can be saved and protected? Mm. Um, well, or, I, yeah, I think there will be some arguments about that. And that, I guess the way we conduct ourselves will, will tell us something about ourselves. But I think judging by how many people don't want to wear masks or any of that stuff, right. maybe, maybe we're already not doing so well on the uh, mm -hmm. you know, social responsibility front. But yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, the, the first few uh, waves of the vaccine, you know, the school teachers and folks that work in grocery stores and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think most of us mm -hmm. can agree that those are folks that need to be, whose job requires them to be around a lot of people all day. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need them. You know, mm -hmm. we need education and food. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think those, you know, but yeah, we're going to get into like sort of into the sixth, seventh, and eighth wave of the vaccine, where it's going to start to maybe be some argument as to who should be getting it and, and all of that. So, uh, or maybe by that point, enough people will have opted out of it that we'll, well just that, that's walk the other in thing. Walgreens I mean, and get it. You know, this is going to be also as as you know, as we vaccinate, it's also just kind of another giant clinical trial because mm -hmm. you know there have been reports of people having allergic reactions and things like that, and, and hopefully none of not a lot of that will happen, but you know we'll see what what happens. So yeah, it's it's going to be a test of patience, and uh, this is not a patient society, I don't think. But maybe we'll rise to the occasion since we've been <laughs> since we've been digging digging a huge hole under the occasion for the, <laughs> the entirety of 2020. Yeah, I, I've heard people make the argument that you know you should have to. You know, if you didn't wear a mask, you shouldn't get a vaccination before somebody else yeah. gets theirs, and things like that. It's just, you know, I mean, yeah. Well, here's a picture of me back in April with a mask on. Please give me the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, if we get into that, I think it's going to be a long spring. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder about all the people who say they they won't take the the vaccination, they won't get the vaccination because. I kind of think that after this starts, it's one of those things where people are going to say like, yep, I better get it. Or, or, or somebody else is going to say to them, you better get it before, because you're not going to be able to come back to work until you have, yeah, it, or, right. you know, those sorts of things. You can't go to a restaurant if you can't go to a restaurant until you, uh, you know, can show that you've been I, vaccinated. I think that people sure. probably will quietly accept this. Uh, they may be, they may be against it now, but, uh, um, you know. Well, I, you I've seen stories, know. James, to your point, I, I, and I don't know if this will come to be or not, but I've seen um, reports that suggest, you know, things like um, getting on an airplane or, or once concerts start back up again right. or going to right. a sporting event, that those things may require some certificate. Immunity passport. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Well, well, but it'll be easy to tell because we'll all have the the microchip that's being put in. <laughs> no, no, just Yeah, just one quick scan. Beep, you're in. Oh, you're in. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Love it. We end on a conspiracy. Well, before we go, um, as a helpful reminder to listeners looking to, for a stocking stuffer, the Trump 2021 calendar is now available. Um, that prompted that state house reporter Rod Boshar to wonder whether it's just a 20 day calendar and what's scheduled for January 20th. <laughs> well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you like it, tell a friend and subscribe to On Iowa Politics at iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builder will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, set us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Stay well.